It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm so excited that you're tuning in. We are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, if you've missed uh, the prior broadcast, feel free to visit us at calvaryfountain.com. And there we have an archive of not only this uh, radio show and its podcast, but also our video recordings and sermon notes of these prior lessons as well. So uh, we want that to be available to you. Again, uh, we have a mission to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and we want you to have the tools you can use to be successful, not only in, in understanding God's Word, but disseminating that content. If you have a small group or uh, any ministerial opportunity, even in your place of business, wherever that might be in your sphere of influence. We want to equip you to be successful in ministry work. And uh, so this is our privilege for us. Uh, We want to give this to you. So it's all at calvaryfountain.com. We've been talking about spiritual gifts over the last couple weeks, and this is going to set us up, which will be a, a very lengthy study as we're covering now 1 Corinthians 12. We'll have a little bit of a break as we understand agape love in 1 Corinthians 13, and then, of course, 1 Corinthians 14, which gets into the subject a a little bit deeper on tongues especially, and that's a divisive subject in churches today. So we really want to give it the time that it needs to properly understand what the Scripture is teaching us in that area, especially when there's so few Scriptures to draw from, and then we can really allow tradition to dominate that landscape. So we want to make sure that we're holding true and steadfast to what God teaches us in this. So let's recap just briefly here of some of the things we covered last week as we were really getting into the spiritual gifts discussion. We left off in verses 4 to 6, and here's what we read, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So here we have the triune aspect of God, His very nature, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, same Spirit, same Lord, same God, at work. And we know the the Lord loves variety. You only need to look at the rainbow to see how he does that. God is creative. And in the same way, the gifts that he gives to his body, the church, uh, they're going to look a little differently. Yes, it may be the same gift on the surface, but in its execution may be very different. God loves variety. The Greek word there is really what we draw as a grace gift. It enables a person to glorify and serve God. So, you know, the first order of business in this is that we need to discover what our spiritual gifts in the Holy Spirit is. Uh, The Holy Spirit gives us a gift. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit gift. They're inextricably linked. It's one and the same. You can't have the Holy Spirit and not have an expression of the Holy Spirit through you. So that, again, just confirms the fact that you are the temple of of God on two legs, according to 1 Corinthians 6 and and even going back to 1 Corinthians 3. So one way to discover your spiritual gift, I left off the program last week highlighting 
a wonderful tool out there called thecallonline.com. It's a program that we developed at Focus on the Family for many years. It spun off as its own ministry, and it really was a comprehensive study by a number of theologians and professors and scientists all coming together, almost like a Myers-Briggs test to really uh, help believers understand not only their spiritual gifts, but applications for those spiritual gifts, how you can use that in a secular environment and in a, in a ministry environment to help you even uh, select proper jobs based on some of those criteria. So it is a comprehensive report that you receive, some 30 pages of content to help you understand a little bit more about your spiritual gifting, and it asks a lot of questions in order to come to those conclusions. So it's a, a very detailed report really takes Romans chapter 12, Ephesians 4, even what we're covering here in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 on these spiritual gifts. So I, I want you to utilize that. If you get an opportunity, contact us at calvaryfountain.com. We'll help get you hooked up with that test because at its cost, it's around $100. But uh, we have some inroads through that, uh, that the team there since I had the privilege of working with them for many years. So again, contact us at calvaryfountain.com if you would like to use that test. And, 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 and trust me, I, I have used it many times before with selection of our leadership those going through our seminary program, and the tests are <laughs> very accurate. It's, a, it's quite an amazing amount of, of work that went into that. So secondly, you need to plug into ministry. You see, when Jesus died, he, he gave us this incredible gift after his resurrection, as promised, not only of eternal life, but also that we would receive a helper, that we would not be left alone, this Holy Spirit that not only enables us through a spiritual gift, but it's all to bring glory back to God. We get to be part of the story. We get to be an instrument, a conduit of God's great working. So God has given you a spiritual gift to benefit others around you to glorify God in the process using it. So if you're not in the process of finding out what your gift is, then chances are you may not even be using your gift at all for the whole body. And that means the body of Christ is not benefiting from your supernatural endowment. So so who has who's benefiting right now? I, I mean, if it's not being used to give God the glory that it was designed to do, perhaps you've gotten too complacent sitting on the sideline. I think the church today has almost become like a spectator sport. We go in and we sit and we soak and and perhaps even sour. Uh, We take in all this content and we don't really feel that we have a place in it all. And that's not the way church is supposed to be. So I need to state that the discovery of spiritual gifts flows out of service. So whenever you see God gift his people, it's because he's given them a task to perform, not vice versa. The problem is, is we have a generation of Christians who continue to become spectators and think that's their role in the church, waiting for God to reveal their gifts to them before they get busy serving. And these people will never fully discover their gifts. Here's what we read in Luke 12, 48b. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. So it's it's worth pointing out that one of the greatest pleasures in this life is serving others. And so I challenge you today to unwrap your gift and use it 
to serve others. Now, thirdly, you must depend on God for the results. The the Father himself is responsible for the variety of effects. That, That means logically, you, we, we're not responsible for the outcome of the service. Okay, it, it takes a great deal of weight off of our sh- off of our shoulders, the burdens that we may have when when as we're serving the Lord faithfully in ministry, this this burden of the results is really left up to God. You, you see, we're called to be faithful, and in so being faithful, we're exercising our gifts in the places where Christ directs us. So, so then God takes full responsibility for the e- eternal impact of that. Uh, since he already saw the end result, according to Isaiah 46.10, we can trust that he is gifting you for a reason. So if you're refusing to use your gift, I think you will struggle like the prophet Jeremiah who wanted to quit but couldn't. You go back to Jeremiah 20, verse 9, it says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. You see, Jeremiah didn't want to do it anymore. He didn't want to do this work where he was going to take the persecution for standing for Jesus Christ, but he couldn't resist. He had to give in to the fact that this fire was burning in him. He had to do what he was designed, i.e. called, to do. So therefore, you need to unwrap your gift and use it to serve others. Now, now Paul has described the source of our spiritual gifts. He now gives them the purpose for these spiritual gifts. We look now to verse 7, 1 Corinthians 12. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So this is a key verse in this section. You see, Paul again reminds us that we've been given a spiritual gift for the express purpose of benefiting others. Now, we have to ask ourselves, is our church stronger because of us? Because God has planted you there as a part of the body, are you operating in your calling as part of the body? See, every part of the body has a purpose. I don't think that I could go a day, uh, really, I, maybe I don't give a lot of attention to it, but I don't, I don't think that I could go a day without my elbow I may not think about my elbow very often, but I really do need my elbow. Every one of us have a part to play, and and, and we'll get more into that here in just a moment. But I I think about, like, nutritionists. They they speak of empty calories, and in order for these calories to be processed, the body must use some of its nutritional resources, yet empty calories do little or nothing to nourish the body in return. So you have to ask yourself then, do you receive more ministry from the church than you minister in the church or even through the church? I mean, these are some real hard questions, convicting questions we need to ask ourselves. Are are we too comfortable in a spectator role and not being willing to be stretched to be used for God's kingdom? I have to tell you that a gentleman we've had on this radio show before, a good friend of mine, Wade Wilson, who is in uh, the pro-life ministry. He, does, he teaches ultrasound uh, training to, to uh, the, these uh, practitioners, these providers uh, at pregnancy centers all across the country in the pro-life movement. And he's now a speaker, a trainer of even trainers. 
And so he's speaking all over the country. And I remember before he even got into that ministry, he told me that the one thing that got him into that place of being comfortable for the first time of speaking before other people is when he was asked to pray in front of the congregation. And it wasn't even something he had an opportunity to prepare for. He was just asked suddenly, hey, can you close out today's service in prayer? And mentally, he had to gear up for that. He said yes. He didn't know why he said yes, but he said, okay, I'll do it. And he went up there and prayed in front of the congregation. He said that is the moment he can vividly remember when God got a hold of his life to say, I can use you and stretch you out of your comfort zone. Watch me work in you. And we're so afraid of being stretched out of our comfort zone. We want to stay in our nice, tidy little bubble and not not be you know drawn and, and stretched and taken places we don't want to go when God has something for you. And it may start even in the service of washing a restroom at church. We, we got to learn to wash feet if we're truly going to lead. Now, some have a, a ministry of encouragement, for example. And I, we have these folks even at our church that they use, they write cards, they make phone calls. Still others are determined to be an encourager to all who visit our church. They love doing that. Our seniors serve in tremendous ways. They're not retired, they're refired to serve the Lord, if you will. So regardless of your limitations of time, strength, or money, your church should be stronger because you're there. God has you there for a reason. You know, the late Bud Wilkinson served as the chairman of the President's Council for Physical Fitness during the Johnson administration, and someone had asked Wilkinson what role professional football had played in America's physical fitness. I suppose what they wanted to know is it because these athletes were performing it at the high level. Was that somehow encouraging others to do likewise? And Wilkinson responded with these words. He said, absolutely none. In football, you have 22 players on the field desperately in need of some rest, being cheered on by 50,000 spectators in the stands who are desperately in need of exercise. So unfortunately, that's true in many local churches. The members see the pastoral staff and the volunteers as the players in ministry, but view themselves as merely spectators. <laughs> we need to change our mentality on this. So here's what Paul does. Now he now brings out the idea of the diversity of the gifts as he lists nine of them, nine specific ones. Not that that's all of them. He just lists nine of them here, uh, verses 8 to 10. Now here's what we read. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, i.e. languages. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. So in these verses, it's not Paul's desire to explain what it means by each and every gift that's listed, they are simply enumerated to show the diversity involved in the Spirit's work. So I'll quickly explain, just brief some of these, even in our time that we have here, these particular gifts that are highlighted here without bogging it down too much. But let me first remind you of a very key point when we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit through us, okay? This is very important for us to understand. Let me take you back just for a moment, back to 1440 BC. None of us were alive then. We can use the scripture as our guide. But during the time of the tabernacle, specifically of what was going on there, the Ark of the Covenant was constructed to God's specifications. And go to Exodus 25, 10 to 22 on that. 
It was the acacia wood that was covered in gold, okay? This box is constructed. Now, I have to ask you, was that wood powerful? No. The power would be what was the result of what was inside of it. Even though this wood was used by God, then covered in gold, it still would have been nothing more than a gold-covered box if not for the power that was within it. So inside this box, it was the presence of God. Exodus chapter 25, even Acts 7 verses 51 to 53. We have the word of God, i.e. the commandments. We have the provision of God, manna, and the authority of God, Aaron's staff, according to Hebrews 9 verse 4. All of that was inside of this wood gold-covered box, okay? So the Holy Spirit dwelt in the box that was filled with the word, provision, and authority. So a lot of times we march forward missing one or more of these ingredients, especially the word. We memorize a few scriptures, take them out of context, and then attempt to go slay some giants somewhere. But the results, of course, may look like what happened to the sons of Siva. You go to Acts chapter 19, verses 11 to 20. Uh, Now, the two witnesses, for example, come to mind here. Revelation chapter 11. They were so humble before the Lord that they're witnessing and serving in sackcloth. They understand that they're the box, that God is the power, according to John 15, 5. So when we're engaging in spiritual warfare, we can do well to remember the words of the archangel Michael when he confronted Satan. He didn't use his own strength. He said, the Lord rebuke you in Jude verse 9. There's only one chapter, Jude. So we try to rebuke spirits in our authority, but it's all God who does the rebuking, according to Zechariah 3, 2. He is the power. You are the box, and where did the box go? It went wherever God told them to take his power, that it would be made manifest there. So let's look at these nine gifts that are listed here. Number one, the word of wisdom. Okay, now this is God-given insight into the purposes and workings of God. We look to Ephesians 1, Isaiah 11, even Colossians 2 on that. But one verse in particular that comes to mind is found in James 3.17. It says, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Number two, he mentions the word of knowledge. Now, this is God-given insight into what God is doing in the world. We look to John 14 and 16, Isaiah 11 and Colossians 2. So an example of receiving knowledge from the Holy Spirit was illustrated by Christ in Luke chapter 12. Let's read that, verses 11 to 12. He says, now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. That is a word of knowledge. It's also a boldness and confidence that's being gifted there by the Holy Spirit as well. The next one he mentions is faith. That's a gift. So the ability to confidently believe God for changes and spiritual growth that will enhance the purposes of God, I believe, is what he's calling our attention to here. So all believers possess faith in some measure because it's one of the gifts of the Spirit bestowed on all who come to Christ in faith, according to Galatians 5, to 23. However, 
a person with this gift is quick to believe God for things they may never see. We should all have this gift, but others seem to exude it confidently, giving giving this some kind of a, a reaffirming strength to others, if you will. I love being around people of great faith. I mean, they, they have that faith that moves mountains kind of faith. And we see this reaffirming strength that's given to others in Acts chapter 3 and Hebrews 11. So the spiritual gift of faith is exhibited by one with a strong and unshakable confidence in God, His Word, His promises, and the power of prayer to effect miracles. So this is not always constant, though. I mean, look at Elijah. Elijah demonstrated some supernatural faith at Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18. And then the very next scene, he's hiding in fear, wanting God to take his life immediately in 1 Kings 19. So Hebrews 11 is called the faith chapter, and it's filled with people who exhibited both incredible faith and incredible failure. Okay, so we're told that through faith they worked righteousness and that the world was not worthy of them, according to Hebrews 11, 33 and 38. So we have to understand that each gift will manifest through the Holy Spirit as God determines for his greater glory. It's not 100% of the time, all every day, seven days a week throughout the entire year. It seems like God does this at particular times and empowers his believers at just the right moment when he receives all the glory. Okay, so we have to understand that. Number four, he addresses healing. Okay, so the faith to believe God for healing. Individuals can serve as agents of God's healing power through intercessory prayer and great faith. We see that in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and James 5. So listen, the Apostle Paul, who raised Eutychus from the dead in Acts chapter 20, was not given power to heal another individual in Philippians chapter 2. Even another individual that's listed in 2 Timothy 4, even Timothy himself in 1 Timothy 5.23, or even himself in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 9. So this demonstrates that the gift was never intended to make every Christian well. Our goal is to pray God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, not our will, even though we desire that all people be instantly healed, right? Even if that was our desire, God is going to work what is the good of those called according to his purpose. And sometimes the thorn has to remain, okay? After all, his grace is sufficient, according to 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. So, number five, he talks about working of miracles. Now, the best use of this gift is that of believing God for miracles that will bring glory to him and cause others to consider God's will for their lives. So, this gift can refer to a to miraculous healings, but it's also to other signs and wonders. See that in John 14 and Mark 9. So, this gift was exhibited by Paul, in Acts 19, Peter in Acts 3, Stephen in Acts 6, and Philip in Acts 8, among many others. Uh, but we have to note the comments related to the gift of healing. In, this, in the same manner, the Holy Spirit will not operate as a divine genie and will not take part in anything that brings glory to man. You see, miracles were reserved for specific occasions to further the work of ministry. The Holy Spirit will work through the two witnesses. We'll see that in Revelation chapter 11 using signs and wonders. But this is through two individuals who are so humble before the Lord, they, we, we don't even know their names, 
and they minister in sackcloth. So their mission, like John the Baptist, will be to prepare the way of the Lord as they evangelize to a lost world in the final hours before the coming reign of Jesus. So as we examine spiritual gifts, we naturally think about I don't know, the the miracles throughout Scripture, these wondrous display of miracles. And we're told in 1 Corinthians 1.22 that Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. So the gifts of the Spirit, the working of even miraculous signs, were always appropriate for when and where God determined they were needed for each situation. You see, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, according to Hebrews 13.8. So we can best understand this, that God can choose, he chooses this, to use some sort of microscopic worms even, for example, to fulfill prophecy with the deserts blooming, and he can even use extraordinary measures through signs and wonders, okay? So sometimes we look at some miracles, maybe they're right underneath our nose and we don't even know they're happening, and what we're looking for are these big, extravagant, wow factor, unexplainable signs when God's been doing miracles right underneath our nose the entire time. So the result is always the right tactic for the right situation, and never a reaction, always pre-planned before time began. Therefore, every miracle ever done was pre-planned and executed exactly as predetermined. So the reason why we think anything has ceased is because we don't understand that men had no control in the first place since every good and perfect gift comes from God, according to James 1.17, who both wills and does the good that comes through us, according to Psalms 16.2 and Philippians 2.13. So God has always had a plan for every miraculous event. Of the 6,000 years of human history, only a few hundred years have miraculous recordings, and I'm sure the delays, if you want to call those, between those extraordinary events would have felt like cessationism even in the modern context, although God was deliberately waiting for certain times at certain occasions. So again, in the brief time we have, let me just uh, pull your attention to a couple highlights here. The time goes so quick. Elijah and Elisha both served for a combined 75 years. And during that time, we have 14 recorded miracles through Elijah and 28 through Elisha. You got to remember, Elisha had requested a double portion in 2 Kings 2. That means that during their ministries, God worked a miracle through them once every other year on average. Okay, so we, we often think that these miraculous things have to occur all the time, that we have to be surrounded by these miracles in order to watch the manifest glory of God. We're often looking for the sensational, looking for the spiritualism, looking for the externalism, and, and clamoring for various groups where these sightings are occurring. And then we get caught up in all of that, forgetting that every one of the miracles of Scripture happened for exactly the right time at exactly the right purpose and reason uh, that God had pre-purposed before time ever began. Okay, so we need to cover more about that, and I'm not going to be able to do that in our final seconds together here. So we're going to have to table that conversation for next week, continue to understand about 
this gift of, of miraculous works and, and to pr- put that in proper context, uh, lest we misapply that. And, and we do that. We read text, we misunderstand it, misapply it, and then wonder why we're frustrated in our walk with the Lord. So again, this is important that we understand the details. We'll get back to that next week. I want to thank you for listening today. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, please reach out to us at calvaryfountain.com. Services are now on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 8 and 10 a.m. And we have groups throughout the week. We love to worship with you. God bless you, my friends. Take care.